0: Welcome to Warning Bells. We have breaking news from Indonesia. A Lion Air Boeing 737 MAX 8 carrying 189 people crashed into the sea this morning. Rescuers have located debris, but they do not expect to find any survivors.
1: Our breaking news, an Ethiopian Airlines flight has crashed shortly after takeoff from Addis Ababa, killing all 157 passengers and crew thought to be on board. The Boeing 737 Max was heading to the Kenyan capital Nairobi when air traffic control lost contact just six minutes after takeoff. It's not yet known what caused this crash.
2: We have some breaking news on Boeing. Phil lebeau got it for us. Hi Phil. Hey, Wolf. Boeing has entered into a deferred prosecution agreement regarding the 737 MAX investigation. This is with the U.S. Department of Justice. As part of this agreement, which is, by the way, what many people on Wall Street expected, Boeing has agreed to pay more than two and a half billion dollars. There are a couple of terms within there in terms of things that Boeing has to meet on the compliance side. Also, as part of this, this charge will be essentially dismissed after three years if Boeing meets all of the uh, stipulations in this agreement. So does that also fill in any potential threats to any individual executives at Boeing? Apparently, we, we do not see any criminal charges uh, filed against individuals as part of this complaint. Now, theoretically, And when we're going to have to read through all of this, they may say, hey, look, there may be a specific individual who may be charged separately, but there is no indication of any individual charges that will be uh, pursued by the DOJ.
0: On January 7th, 2021, the United States Department of Justice and the Boeing Company entered into a deferred prosecution agreement, also known as a DPA which alleged that Boeing had misled the Federal Aviation Administration with regard to the design of the 737 MAX airplane and pilot training requirements, two factors that contributed to the ensuing two crashes and the deaths of 346 people. If you're wondering what a DPA is and how it can end a criminal investigation, prevent a public trial, and protect corporate executives from being prosecuted, this podcast will better enlighten you. We have with us One of the country's preeminent experts on deferred prosecution agreements, Professor Peter Riley. Professor Riley is a professor of law at Texas A and M School of Law. He has extensively explored and authored numerous reports on deferred prosecution agreements for close to a decade. Professor Riley, welcome to Warning Bells. Thank you, Professor. We find that even when individuals read about the deferred prosecution agreement, they still have trouble wrapping their heads around it. Can you explain what a deferred prosecution agreement is? Absolutely. So basically, in the early 1900s, deferred prosecution
1: was used as a vehicle for basically juveniles who are committing petty crimes. They said, "Okay." the prosecutor said, well, we don't we don't want this person to have a record. And so why don't we say to this person, look, we can charge you. However, why don't we go ahead and say that if you admit wrongdoing and clean up your act, maybe we'll give you some job training and social services and so forth. In a couple of years, you can just walk away. There won't be a trial you won't be found guilty of anything and so you won't have a record so that was the idea and i think the intent behind is to keep these young kids from basically entering a life of crime but then about 30 years ago in about 1992 in new york a federal prosecutor said hey why don't we use this deferred prosecution idea with a company so a company was in trouble and they said okay we'll do the same thing they do some amount of investigation Then the Justice Department said, if you go ahead and admit wrongdoing and pay a fine and engage in internal reforms so that this doesn't come up again, we might have a monitor look at the situation for two or three years to make sure that your behavior is good. But after that, you can walk away and there'll be nothing else. And so I think the Justice Department really liked this idea because it was efficient, right? It doesn't cost very much to do that. And they also thought that it had the same kind of impact that a full-blown trial would have. In other words, the Justice Department thinks that these DPAs, deferred prosecution agreements, have the same deterrent effect as a trial, and it's essentially the same punishment. And my writing has argued that, no, it really does not have the same deterrent effect because a lot of companies who've received deferred prosecution agreements will then engage in other wrongdoing down the road. So I don't think that we have proof that it doesn't deter. And also, I don't think that it's much of a punishment because nobody goes to jail. Nobody's found guilty. So you don't have the repercussions of reputation. And uh, essentially, you pay a fine. So in most of these companies, it's not even their personal money. It's the shareholders' money. So my argument has been just based on the evidence that no, these do not amount to sufficient punishment or deterrence but that's kind of the history of how they came to be. And it's so it's really relative. They're relatively new in the corporate context. They've only been used for about 30 years. And at the beginning, there were just a couple, just drips of DPAs. But over time, they've increased. So now every year, you might have 20 or 30 deferred prosecution agreements. And then the counterpart to that, people should know that there are DPAs, deferred prosecution agreements. A similar vehicle is called an NPA, a non-prosecution agreement. These are also used with companies The Justice Department decides which one to use. The basic difference is the deferred prosecution is filed with a court, right? So the company is actually indicted. And then they basically halt the process and say, if you adhere to all these things, pay us the fine and and do all those other things that I talked about. After three years, everything is wiped clean. With the non-prosecution agreement, you don't even file it with a court. It's just a contract with the company. They go ahead and give them the same terms of agreement. They have to pay a fine and they have to do internal reforms. There might be a monitor. But then, after the three years, everything is wiped clean. It's not even filed with a court, it's simply a contract. And if they don't adhere to all of those agreement terms, then the Justice Department might go
0: ahead and prosecute. This is such an interesting history. I mean, if I understand what you're saying, is this mechanism that's widely used now in, in major corporate crime had roots in juvenile delinquency and juvenile efforts. And here we are now applying it to major corporations. I I would wonder, you know, if you were a CEO of a company, what would you say would be the advantage of going and signing a deferred prosecution agreement? What's their viewpoint of this? You know, history shows that corporations love these
1: agreements. They leap at the chance to get these agreements. And it's because they don't take much of a hit, right? They don't take much of a hit in the press. The investors in the company are sort of say, fine, we're going to have this fine. But the basic thing is that the people who are running the company who may have engaged in wrongdoing are saying to themselves, wow, nobody's going to go to jail. And so this is the, I think the biggest attraction they're saying, fine. And for many of these companies, even when you get these fines of millions of dollars for many of these huge companies, it's the equivalent of speeding ticket. Really, it can be. And so this looks very, very good. And the other thing is because you're not found guilty, right? If you're engaging in government contracting, if you're found guilty, you might not be able to engage in government contracting for a while. Well, with the DPA, that problem is out the window, right? So you've not been found guilty of anything. And so you can continue your your government contracting. So in all those realms, right? Nobody goes to jail. We still get to continue business as usual. We still, they might have to do internal reforms and so forth, but it's essentially paying a speeding ticket. So from the perspective of companies They leap at the opportunity to take a DPA. They're looking at it saying, wow, we're not going to have a trial that goes for weeks or months or years where it's in the press all the time. And people are reminded of our bad behavior or, you know, alleged bad behavior. And the other thing is that I think that so much more information can come out in a trial. Take the Boeing issue. Boeing will say that they've conducted an investigation. Well, the investigation that they're able to conduct in the amount of time before they offer a deferred prosecution agreement, is that the same kind of investigation that can be conducted if you have a full-blown trial for weeks or months long with many, many witnesses? I would suggest that not only in the Boeing case, but in most cases, you can get a much more thorough look at what exactly transpired. And I think that this is owed to the public. Let's figure out, in all these cases, let's figure out what really happened. And these cases are, you know, Boeing is not unusual. I mean, General Motors in about 2015, some of you might be aware, they had an ignition switch defect in General Motors. And I think about 174 people died. Well, that was resolved with a deferred prosecution agreement. And could we have found out much more what happened and who was at fault if there were a full-blown trial? I, I think so.
0: You know, it's when you say that, one of the things... That really is striking is that when the company entered into this agreement, they identified the two pilots that they basically said, hey, these two pilots are the ones that did wrongdoing. And they got the exoneration of the rest of the the company. And then in the preparation for that trial, I saw a list of witnesses that they were planning on calling, a long list of witnesses and a long list of documents. And my initial reaction was, oh, my gosh, they're going to find so much out. That they need to find out about what happened, who knew what and when you know, and I'm like, this is how it should be. I mean this is somehow equitable that you know assigning an agreement and not going through a proper investigation and talking to witnesses and doing all that is it's just unbelievable that they were able to get away with this. The whole thing just seems like such a sham, and i'm trying to put ourselves in the shoes of these victims who lost their loved ones, one of them in particular he's called it, you know, corporate homicide. I mean, we're not we're not talking about somebody losing some money in their stocks. We we're, we're talking about somebody losing their their loved one. It just seems like it's just a farce. Before
1: you, the question was brought up, why is this beneficial to the CEOs? And this is really critical. The agreement is made in secret, right? The justice department and the company negotiate behind closed doors on what will be in the agreement. So there's no press there there's nobody else there. And so you can imagine that is a delicate dance. So when you talked about what were, what was admitted in the facts, you know, they brought up these two gentlemen and, and, you know, basically said, these are the two, these are the two people responsible. That was, that was in the DPA. When you read the DPA, it says, you know, these are the two people responsible. So that is a dance that the company gets to sort of say, Hey, we think it should say this. And the department of justice will push back and say, it should say this, but you know, I find it kind of stunning as well that you can have the agreement as to what are the facts of this case essentially negotiated by the company and by the justice department secretly behind closed doors without input from other people. I just find that stunning. I mean, it goes so far against what we think should happen in a court of law. I mean, if you, you know, I, I always say to people, if you talk to 99 people on the street and you ask them, do you think that this that this is how we're resolving some cases in the United States? I think most people would say, no, that, that can't be happening. There's no way that we're resolving cases by having these, essentially these contracts between a company and the Justice Department. Because I think people watch television every night and they see a big trial. And so they think that's how everything's handled. This is why some of the people who criticize deferred prosecution agreements are saying, look, the... Justice Department in these cases. They're the, the judge and the jury together. But I say they're, they're more than that. They're the prosecutor and the judge and the jury. The press is not allowed in for transparency. And after it's all done, they don't even, most of them are posted on the DOJ website. They don't even have to post them on the DOJ website. So some of these are, are so secretive. They're not even made public. University of Virginia Law School has delved into these DPAs. They had to do a FOIA request toward the Justice Department for them to reveal what some of these agreements are. And my own suspicion is the ones that they're going to keep secret are the ones that are most favorable towards the companies. So I think there's a lot of problems with this. There's potential, right? Because it's done in secret and there's this lack of transparency, there's the potential for some bad actors You know, within the Justice Department, because there's not that many people who are making these big decisions on what should the penalties be? What are the facts of this case? So, if you have some people for whatever reason, because of this lack of transparency, who want to be bad actors, they could come up with a bad agreement. And here's the other thing when you have a plea agreement, many cases are resolved through plea deals, right? As a matter of fact, both in criminal cases and in civil cases, over 95% of cases are done through a plea agreement. So they'll go ahead and the prosecutor will give them a better deal if they plead guilty. First of all, those are okay because the person has to plead guilty. So in the end, they're guilty. But secondly, this is critical. The judge gets to look at that deal and say whether it's fair. And so that there's judicial review. The judge might say, no, that deal's too easy on the alleged perpetrator. I'm not going to accept it. And in deferred prosecution agreements, that cannot happen. In other words, when the DPA does by law have to be approved by the judge, it says with the approval of the court, but that's been litigated that the court cannot say, the court cannot deny it for being too lenient. If a judge looks at it and says, this is too lenient on the company, or it could be too hard on the company, that cannot be a reason for denying the DPA. So not only do you have secrecy, very few people making this deal, no transparency, no press, But once the agreement comes to light, you know, and then is put before the court, even if a court says this is outrageous, they're not able to deny it based on that reason alone. There have been several cases, and it's written in my article, on how judges will say, this is an unfair deal, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I know my hands are tied because of what the D.C. Circuit has said in the appellate court ruling. I think there are real problems with these agreements. But, but I think that there are very few forces working right now to try to make it so that DOJ cannot use these agreements. I mean, we set up the system of having a trial does have many checks and balances. You've got, you know, if the prosecutor overcharges, then maybe the jury is going to not convict. They're going to say the prosecutor overcharged, so I'm not going to convict the person. You've got the press who's able to look at it at all times. Once they are convicted, you've got a judge, an independent outside neutral party saying this is what the punishment should be. You've got many, many different parties, many checks and balances. Those are all thrown out with DPAs. And, you know, I've written about the fact that these are now being exported to other countries to the credit of some of these other countries who are starting to implement deferred prosecution DPAs because they are favorable to some of these governments and cost them less money. They get money into their treasury because of the fines. Many of them, I do credit them because they are trying to address some of the weaknesses that we have in the United States. For example, they're trying to be more transparent. Some of these foreign countries are saying, okay, we'll do these DPAs, but you have to make all of them available on the internet so everybody can read them. I applaud that. They're also trying to have more judicial review. They're saying, okay, you're going to have to have an independent third party after you make the agreement. You're going to have to have, whether it's a judge, some countries are doing it with things besides judges, but an independent third party look at that agreement to make sure that they think that an independent party who's not been party to the agreement believes that it that it's fair and reasonable. And the fact that we don't have those checks and balances in the United States, I
0: think really is surprising and troublesome to say the least. Professor, how, how would you answer, like one of the things I imagine that DOJ or FBI will say that you know the DPA is a necessary mechanism is because they just don't have enough resources, right? They don't have enough resources to investigate all kinds of corporate crime. First, what would you say to that?
1: Well, I guess I'd say, you know, it's interesting. I said at first, these started out just a few DPAs here and there, two or three a year, and now they're up to, you know, 20 or 30. Some of these cases are really, really important cases. And so we need to spend the money. And the other thing is, I think that they're willing to do it with these corporate cases. Because I think that most people think, well, this is just about money, whatever, it's just about money. I think that they don't realize, no, these cases, these DPAs are being used in cases where people are dying, right? And so I think when it comes to cases where people are killed, you really need to spend the resources to have the trial with all the checks and balances. And so maybe on some cases where it just involves money or whatever, maybe I'd have less of a problem with it. But I do think in these cases where people are killed, I think that their loved ones who who are looking at this agreement being made, they are then saying, how can this be resolved in this manner? Is this justice? Is this really what justice is in the United States when people are killed in a case? And so, you know, my next article is going to be fine. We can use DPA when it comes to clean up these money matters. But if somebody, if there's somebody killed in these cases, I don't think the government should be able to use a DPA. And I do find it interesting that, again, I think they're used in these cases because people sort of think, well, it's just corporate America, whatever. You know, if this, would they ever use a DPA, for example, in a, in a huge drug kingpin case? They wouldn't because I think people wouldn't tolerate it. They'd say the government is making a deal with a drug kingpin, so they would never do it. And the way they resolve the, the drug case is, you know, part of the reason they use it on these complex cases is they say, this is too complex. It's just far too difficult to go in and figure out what really happened but we do it all the time with drug cases. There are many levels of people. Um, and what you do is you start out with the low level people who are on the street selling drugs and you get them to flip. And then you work your way up. You slowly work your way up to the top of the organization and you get people to flip so that you find out what's going on with the people who are masterminding this. That could easily be done in these cases. Yes, it requires time and some money, but when people are killed,
0: I think that's what is required. I just want to also say there was a decision made to not require Boeing to have a monitor, a, a DPA monitor. Could you speak to that, what that means?
1: Yeah. You know, in, in, in many of these agreements, they will have sort of an outside independent neutral party called a call to monitor, monitoring the situation to make sure that the company is basically adhering to all the terms of the deal. Right. So because if they don't adhere to the terms of the deal, then the Justice Department might go ahead and start prosecuting them at the end of the duration of time. It's usually two or three years and the Boeing agreement is three years. But it's quite interesting that there's no monitor in the Boeing agreement. And I think, you know, I've read different experts commenting specifically on the Boeing case saying, wow, if there's any case that cries out for a monitor over these three years, it's the Boeing case that can be said for a lot of these cases i think that it, that a monitor should be required but again i think that it comes down to economic efficiency Every, you know these monitors get paid big bucks to make sure that the agreement is being followed and they're being paid over the, over a three year period so i think that a lot of these a lot of these decisions i think in the end come down to sort of economic efficiency is it going to cost us money to do this i think all these agreements should have monitors but obviously they Remember that these are contracts. All these are are contracts between the company and the government. You can put almost anything you want in a contract or leave whatever out you don't want to have in a contract. So if both parties agree that they shouldn't be a, a monitor, there won't be a monitor.
0: Peter, I want to thank you very much for joining us today and explaining to all of our listeners what a deferred prosecution agreement is. I know it was a quite the learning experience for me. So thank you very much for joining us today. Sure. Thank you. Thank you.